Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Before I start today's episode, I wanted to take a few seconds to thank all of you. My sister called me and let me know that there have been a few large donations to the Taylor Toller Memorial Fund this year that have come from listeners to the podcast. Unfortunately, we aren't able to identify names, so we can't thank you personally. But I wanted and my sister wanted to thank you for your support and for being moved enough by our family's story to try to make a difference. The money will be granted this year to a donation of our choosing in February when we gather together to make a decision on it for Taylor's birthday. Your donation this year will continue to earn interest to be used again next year and the year after that, and so on, so you've really given a gift that keeps on giving. And to those of you that listen to me each week ramble on about murder and death, you are also so appreciated because you help me get the word out about domestic violence and mental health issues. You are also giving our family the gift of keeping Taylor's memory and legacy alive. With that, please enjoy today's episode, and don't forget to tell your friends, subscribe, rate, or review, or just listen. That's okay, too. Hello, all, and welcome to A Million Other Choices. I am your host, Kim. The story that I am bringing you today was a suggestion from a new listener named Melissa from her home province of Nova Scotia, where she works as a nurse. So huge shout out to Melissa for the great suggestion and for her work in healthcare. Let's face it, it's been a tough couple of years in nursing and I for one appreciate her service. It was a great suggestion because it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka case, which of course everyone and their dog knows about here in Canada, but not that many people know about this one, including me. So hopefully I was able to dig up enough information on this case that will fill Melissa in on the details and give us an awareness of the case. This is the murder of Katie Miller. Katie Miller, who was born Catherine Elizabeth Miller, grew up in Bedford, Nova Scotia. Bedford is a community that is part of the larger Halifax Regional Municipality. It gets its name from the Bedford Basin, where the Atlantic Ocean dips inland on the southern side of Nova Scotia, with Halifax on the western shore and Dartmouth on the east shore. Katie was a May baby. She was born May 6, 1985 to her parents, John and Terry. She also had a brother named Christopher, but I'm not sure if he was younger or older than her. Katie was a pretty cool lady, and she sounds like someone that we could all use in our friend circles. She was funny and prone to deep thoughts. She practiced compassion and wasn't the judgmental sort. She had strong opinions of matters of social justice and women's issues. She attended both Dalhousie and St. Mary's universities, which are both fairly prestigious here in Canada. It took her a little while to find what she really wanted to do with her life. She was working odd jobs, but then she decided to become an electrician. 
which is super cool of her to go into such a male-dominated field. Like many a victim of murder before her and likely since her, she was a sports lover, including rugby, soccer, and swimming, and was especially fond of horseback riding, which fed her love of animals, as did her kitty cat, Winston, which I think is a great name for a cat. At some point in her mid-twenties, she married Cameron McCurdy, and they had a little peanut, a little son named Oliver, another great name. The marriage didn't last, but as was Katie's nature, she maintained a good working relationship with her ex-husband and her in-laws, Bruce and Judy. In June 2015, she was 29. She was separated from her hubby for the past 18 months, dating a little bit, but focused mostly on little Oliver, who was only three at the time. And being that she was a recent grad and separated, money was tight, uh, so she didn't own a car and relied on public transit and cabs or Ubers, and was having a little trouble finding work in her field as an electrician. Katie kept a close relationship with her parents and brother and kept in touch almost daily via text or phone, so it wasn't a surprise when on the morning of July 15th, 2015, just after 11 a.m., she texted her mom that she had made an appointment for her son Oliver, probably a doctor's appointment, but the source documents just say it was an appointment that related to her son and would have been seen as important as such. So July 15th was Wednesday and she had made the appointment for the 28th of July, which was a Monday. A few days after the text about the appointment, which her parents refer to as kind of like having a light switch just turned off. They were getting increasingly concerned because they hadn't heard from her and they hadn't been able to get a hold of her. Uh, I'm thinking that there wasn't initially any concern right away because Oliver must have been at his dad's for that week. There isn't information, any information that I could find on where her son was during the time that she wasn't heard from. But regardless, Oliver is safe and sound. Katie was one of those people that was very conscientious in her life. She was always on time, kept her appointments, and took being a mom very seriously. So it was quite concerning that they hadn't heard from her. But the family held off panicking and contacting the police for just under a week and then reported her missing on July 21st. Police did take the report seriously, but Terry, Katie's mom, kind of made, I don't want to say mistake, but she, she mentioned that Katie had been a little down because after graduation she was having some trouble finding a job. So when they released the press information looking for information from the public, they said that they didn't suspect foul play, but were concerned about her well-being. But her parents and Christopher, her brother, were a bit more concerned that she had not disappeared willingly. She loves her son. You know, we have a lot in common. Um, she's just a, a nice person. She's a hard worker. She's somebody that you just like. I can't understand it, and I feel... It's killing me to see her family hurting so much. Having the community see how important this woman is to her family, to her young son, to her cousins, to her mother and father, um, it's hard to not strike an emotional chord. At first, uh, we were all in uh, disbelief, and as the hours and, and days ticked by, we went through some despair. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. You go to bed at night wondering if she's alive or dead or or who's got her, or if she's been kidnapped. Um, it's the worst, worst thing I've ever had to endure. 
She had paid the electricity bill and had a guy come and install cable in her apartment. She left behind her belongings and her cat Winston was found with no food or water. So even if she had gone somewhere to end her life or start over whatever they think she did, she would have taken at least something with her and made arrangements for the cat. A review of her phone recordings show that her last call was to Bluebell Taxi on July 15th, and then there was nothing after that. After that day, she didn't use her bank card or post anything on social media. Her parents were still clinging to hope on the 28th of July that she would show up for the appointment that she had made regarding Oliver. This morning when I was waiting to find out if she kept that appointment, my, my heart was in my throat. Uh, it, it, uh, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. Terry found that day to be the hardest, really, to endure. You know how much we love you and how much we miss you. And you just have to come home to us. And Oliver misses his mommy, please. Now, the police tracked down surveillance footage from just after 3 p.m. on July 15th of Katie getting into an early 2000s Pontiac Grand Prix outside of the Superstore at the Bedford Place Mall. It was immediately after this that her cell phone records and bank records and everything just stop. So her parents are starting to think the worst and like they're begging the police to broaden the search nationally. They don't believe that she had a valid passport, so they are hoping that she's still at least close by. But John said, quote, if she left in a car voluntarily or otherwise, after this length of time, we feel she could be anywhere in Canada. We therefore feel this search has taken on a national perspective. I think most people would put the loss of a child um, at the top of a parent's worst fear. And I think that uh, maybe a missing child um, is worse than that because you just don't know. And so this was almost four weeks after she disappeared and she was seen getting into a vehicle and immediately stopped being heard from after that. And police were still telling the media and public that there was no evidence of foul play. At this time, we don't have any information to lead us to believe that uh, she's met with foul play. But fortunately, despite not feeling there was a murder here, they did continue to work the case from all angles and to try to track down the owner of the Pontiac that Katie was seen getting into. On August 12th, 2014, Katie's family held a candlelight vigil with about 300 people in attendance. At the vigil, her mom said, quote, There have been no words invented to describe this pain. I feel like I'm living a nightmare. They had plans the following day to canvas her neighborhood on the north end of town, hoping that somebody knew or saw something. But about four o'clock that afternoon, so just before the vigil, the, a police detective called Terry and John to let them know that a cell phone had been dropped off at the police station by someone from the Dartmouth Sportsplex. And they believed that the phone was related to the case, but they wouldn't say if it was Katie's phone or someone else's. Her dad said, quote, Katie would want to be hanging on to her phone. So if her phone is separated from her, that may not be good, end quote. With the help of this phone, they were able to track down the Pontiac Grand Prix owner as 30-year-old Jason James Johnson. I couldn't find very much background information on Jason other than his age and that he lived on Charlotte Lane in Lawrencetown, which is a coastal village southeast of Bedford, on the other side of the Bedford Basin from where Katie lived. And that's disappointing because it adds to the mystery around this case is that 
the police discovered that Katie had actually dated Jason for a short time and ended things in April of 2014. The mystery is why and how they met and were dating even for a short time. Katie was well-educated and focused on being a mom, like she lived a very conventional lifestyle. The pictures that I could find of Jason, I mean, he's not hideous or anything. He's just kind of average looking, but he's got tattoos on his neck and he, he was a cocaine user. And I just would have, he would have ran with an entirely different circle. So either Katie was attracted to bad boys or Jason portrayed himself in a different light. But regardless, it obviously wasn't very serious, at least not to Katie, because she never mentioned him to her friends or to her family. So the police kind of wonder the same thing. Now, I don't have access to any of the police transcripts of the conversations with Jason, but he obviously told them that he dropped her off at her place safe and sound uh, and was not involved in her disappearance because after questioning him, they let him go. But they decide on August 29th that they're going to wiretap his phone and put him under surveillance. And what they discover is that Jason had himself a new girlfriend, or it might have been a pre-existing girlfriend, named Kelly McDonald, who was also a single mom of a young child. So when the police discover her, they also decide to plant an undercover officer to befriend her as well and try to get information from her in the ca- in just in case that they can't get anything from Jason. For the first month of the phone tapping and surveillance, nothing really much happens. But on September 24th, the police watched Jason come out of his apartment and put on gloves before opening the trunk of his car and taking out the spare tire and carpet liner and start to spray the trunk with what they later learn is rust sealer. So despite not having a body or a confession or really any hard evidence, they decide that they have to seize his car before he conceals or destroys any evidence. And when they get the car and test it, they would find a significant amount of what is later confirmed to be blood, and that blood would come back to match the DNA of Katie. Um, So good call on the police and about that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So after they have the vehicle in police custody, but before those DNA results come back, investigators record a call that Jason made to his friend, George Hoobly. Now, again, I don't have the transcripts of the call, but apparently he told George that he wanted, what he really wanted to do was become a notorious killer. And he said that he had killed once, but probably wasn't going to get away with it because the police were getting close. So he was hoping that George would help him kidnap and murder another woman you know, for one last kick at the cat before he got arrested or something. And during the call, Jason talked excitedly about how he wanted to kill more women. And he told George that he had killed Katie and had cut off her head 
and then went back to her body two days later and cut her up. So, on November 22, 2014, four months after Katie's disappearance, Jason James Johnson was arrested out of an abundance of caution that he would in fact kill someone else. And then he quite easily confessed to slitting Katie's throat and cutting off her head and using an axe to cut up her body and then burying her with um, her and the axe. He told them that he had used a tarp to wrap up the pieces of her body and hid it below a tree and then burned his clothing, including his shoes and any other evidence that he could think of. So obviously he was charged with first degree murder and interfering with human remains. And if you've ever curious about the charges related to human remains, in Canada, under the criminal code, it reads that anyone who neglects without lawful excuse to perform any duty that is imposed on him by law or that he undertakes with reference to the burial of a dead human body or human remains or improperly or indecently interferes with or offers any indignity to a dead human body or human remains, whether buried or not. So it can relate to an improper burial or sort of the dumping of a dead body or dismemberment or sexual interference. So it's kind of a catch-all for disposing of remains in a way that takes away the person's dignity and respect. In a lot of cases of murder, it's an added charge to show a jury or judge that there were aggravating factors. It takes a lot of gall to cut up a dead body. And it shows a lack of remorse if you unceremoniously dump someone in the woods, that kind of thing. Anyways, two days later, Kelly McDonald, Jason's 33-year-old girlfriend and mother of an eight-month-old baby living in Lawrencetown, has a little conversation with her new undercover friend. As a result of that conversation, Kelly McDonald and George Hubley were also arrested. Kelly was also charged with first-degree murder and indecently interfering with a dead body, and George was charged with accessory after the fact and indecently interfering with a dead body as well. And as a result of all of the conversations, the police were able to locate Katie Miller's remains and piece together the events of Katie's murder. Now the why of her murder is still a mystery. For reasons no one except Katie and Jason know, Jason picked Katie up outside the mall at 3 o'clock on July 15th It appears that Katie got into the car willingly and they drove towards Hance County, which is northwest of Bedford. And we also don't know um, anything about the why they were driving there or what happened during the drive. All we do know is that at some point outside of the vehicle, he beat her with a tire iron until she was unconscious and then put her into the trunk of his car. He then called Kelly in a panic and arrived that evening at her place in Enfield, which was just south of Lawrencetown. She got into Jason's car with her baby, knowing that Katie was unconscious in the trunk and that Jason had beaten her. They planned on driving back to Lawrencetown to drop the baby off with Kelly's mom. Now, while on the way, Katie regained consciousness and started to scream. Um, She was screaming, quote, Jason, you don't have to do this and kicking at the trunk at the same time, to which Kelly said she's going to kick a taillight out or something. So they stopped the car and Kelly got into the driver's seat and Jason got into the back seat with the baby to lean against the seat to prevent Katie from kicking through the seats. 
and they managed to get the baby dropped off at Kelly's mom's and decided to head out to Sheet Harbor, where there are hiking trails and wooded areas. They called George Hubley and without saying why, told him to have tarps, garbage bags and a shovel ready when they got there. I don't know about you, but if one of my friends called me and asked me that, I think I'd be pretty suspicious. He was told not to ask any questions, but I'm pretty sure he had the gist of the information from that phone call. On the way to Sheet Harbor, which is about an hour's drive from Lawrencetown, Katie continued to scream and kick, so Kelly told Jason to finish her off and gave him a hooked knife that she had brought with her. Jason stopped the car again and got out and went to the trunk, opened it, and slashed the throat of a horrified Katie. He then got back into the car to carry on their way, um, only she was still alive because she's a little fighter. And so Kelly again told Jason to finish it. So he again got out of the car, slashed her throat a second time, and ultimately killed Katie Miller. Then, wait, it gets worse. They got to George's place in Sheet Harbor where he had done what they had asked, laying out a tarp and providing them with an axe and a handsaw. Jason, with the help of Kelly, then used the handsaw to remove Katie's head and the axe to cut off her hands in an effort to prevent her identification if she had been found. They wrapped her remains, minus her head and hands, in the tarp and then tied them to a tree out in the woods to prevent animals from carting them off. Kelly, after her arrest, took investigators out there where they recovered her body. Her hands were disposed of, I believe, in a place called Goff's near the airport where they put her head, complete with her sunken features from being smashed in with a tire iron, in a sinkhole. Uh, but I can't confirm that was where they found her or those remains exactly. In George Hoobly's videotaped interview with police, he said that he had helped the pair dispose of Katie's body, but, quote, I couldn't even kill a cat if it was sick and dying, end quote. He claimed that he only helped them because he was terrified of Jason and that the two of them were high on cocaine when they arrived, and he was afraid that they would come after his daughter, his mom, or other family members if he didn't help. When asked why he didn't call 911 after they left, he said he was scared. People are crazy while on cocaine. Uh, When left alone in the interview room, he would sob into his hands. He paced back and forth and mumbled, 30 fucking years wasted because of this. End quote. On November 27th, 2016, both Kelly McDonald and Jason James Johnson pled guilty to second-degree murder, which comes with an automatic life sentence. Jason has to serve out at least 20 years before he can ask for parole, and Kelly, who once attended Nova Scotia's community college with aspirations to go into corrections or work with youths at risk, will serve at least 16 years. They both have had five years added to the sentences for interfering with human remains. John Miller said that it was a very small degree of relief not to have to sit through a trial. Quote, we don't know why this occurred. It was a senseless and horrific murder. This should never have happened. Katie should not be dead. My grandson should have his mother. This is tragic beyond belief. End quote. It is definitely a good thing for a family not to have to go through the grueling and traumatic process of a trial. But the problem with that for us crime nuts is that you don't get a lot of details. 
So even if I had had access to the court transcripts, it wouldn't tell me much else about these two. When a person pleads guilty, all that gets revealed in court is the agreed statement of facts, which is just a bullet point document that lays out the when and what of the crime, but never even speculates on motive or anything. Um, Now, if they had released the reasons for judgment, that would have been a bit more helpful because in that court document, the judge has to review some background information as either aggravating or mitigating factors and also kind of summarizes any findings in the psych assessments. But they didn't release that on the legal document website that I use, so I would have to go through the Information Act and that can take years if I ever get it at all. Um, I did try the um, Supreme Court of Canada case docket, but it doesn't appear that they have appealed um, through them yet. So I don't have a lot of information on either Jason or Kelly. Kelly, at least from all accounts that I could find, seemed like someone that wouldn't have had such a dark side to her, but she's obviously a sociopath of some sort. Anyways, at the plea hearing, Justice Patrick Duncan said of the couple, quote, there were many opportunities to let Katie Miller live. There is an inherent dangerousness to Mr. Johnson. The two of them lacked the most basic humanity and showed extreme callousness and total disregard for human life. She pleaded for her life, but you ignored her pleas. Um, And then he said that Kelly was just as guilty as Jason, even though she didn't do the actual killing. And the only mitigating factors that were listed were that both Kelly and Jason were drug and alcohol abusers. He referred to the murder, this is the judge talking, as cold and as a cold and heinous crime and said both of them had the sole focus of silencing her forever and then taking extreme steps to try and hide the body and their responsibility. When given an opportunity, Jason did not address the court or Katie's parents and her brother Chris. Kelly offered an, sort of an apology saying, quote, I'm very sorry to John and Terry in the death of Katie, a young mother and daughter. There are no words that I can say for either of you to forgive me for taking Katie's life. I just hope one day that God chooses to forgive me on your behalf. I find it super creepy that she dared to use their first names um, like they were friends or something. Terry, Katie's mom, in her statement to the court said, I must face a life where I will always grieve my daughter. My dreams for her have vanished. I'm left with endless pain. Evil visited our family. I'm continuously asking why, why, why? John Miller said while weeping openly, there's no reason for the viciousness and disrespect. There's no reason. And added that his grandson Oliver was going to need some emotional support. George Hoobly was convicted on his charges in February 2017. He received a four-year sentence and is likely out and about now. Hopefully he has learned to be a little less helpful to his friends. It was revealed in his court case that he had helped with taking Katie's body out of the trunk, had laid it on the tarp, and provided the two with a change of clothes. His sentencing decision reads in part, quote, Although Mr. Hoobly did not participate directly in the dismemberment of Miss Miller's body, he did provide the implements used and the materials used to dispose of her body and other evidence. The brutal nature of Miss Miller's death and the indignities committed to her body are, are a profound affront to society's values. Instead of choosing the right, natural, humane, and obvious choice, Mr. Hoobly chose to participate in this heinous offense. 
The sentence to be imposed is meant to denounce the offending conduct and deter Mr. Hubley and others from committing such offenses, end quote. And that was the brutal and gruesome murder of Katie Miller. My heart goes out to John and Terry and to little Oliver, who now has to grow up without his mom uh, and knowing that she was taken from him in such a heartbreaking and unfair way. I feel like Terry does just asking myself, why? And what the hell is wrong with Kelly? If you get in your car with your boyfriend and he says he's beat his previous girlfriend and she's in the trunk, those are words that would have me saying, stop the car here, please. I want to get out. Not will finish her off because she's making too much noise. And with that, I hope you will join me again next time for another case. And as always, thank you so much for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.